In order to use a remote desktop experience, software engineers have a limited number of options, and most of them are proprietary, like VMware or Oracle. Remote desktop is a functionality that many engineers use every day, so it is surprising that the open source world has taken a while to displace the functionality of proprietary software. In 2010, Mike Jumper started working on Guacamole, a way to access remote desktops through your browser. Over the last six years, Mike has worked continuously to create a simple open source software tool to access remote desktops, and this year, Guacamole joined the Apache Software Foundation and became Apache Guacamole. In this episode, we discuss the past, present, and future of remote desktop in the technical internals of Apache Guacamole. If you are interested in sponsoring Software Engineering Daily or you want to advertise on the show, please send me an email at softwareengineeringdaily at gmail.com. I am looking for sponsors for Q3. Mike Jumper is the founding developer of Apache Guacamole, a clientless remote desktop gateway. Mike, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, thank you. Let's start with the basics. Remote desktop, what does that term mean? Uh, well, it's just a way for you to access your desktop remotely um, over some sort of networking protocol. And there are a number of these, uh, VNC and, and RDP being the most common ones. But I suppose in, in its own way, SSH could be considered such a thing. Um, what are the practical use cases for remote desktop? Well, uh, in the past, it, it was mainly a way for you to access a machine when you had no other means to do so. Uh, nowadays, it's, it's becoming more and more of uh, something that you would do uh, by choice. Um, we ourselves, in, in the office, we, we use Guacamole to do all, all our Guacamole development. Uh, it's, it's become the way that I primarily access my own computer. What are the remote desktop products that have existed in the past? Uh, besides uh, typical VNC, uh, I mean, Microsoft had RDP for quite some time. Uh, they continue to build it into Windows. Um, there's a number of commercial solutions that people are familiar with, uh, TeamViewer, JoinMe, and, and so on, that, that uh, people use on a daily basis. Guacamole is only relatively recently entered the scene. So you, you're talking about these protocols like VNC or RDP versus these yeah. higher-level products. Could you help differentiate between these two classes of VNC technology? Sure. Well, I wouldn't necessarily call it VNC technology, but, but anyway, the, the protocol itself... Uh, I'm, I can't really speak. Technology, maybe. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I can't really speak to what protocols these proprietary solutions might be using, uh, and, and whatever they do use, certainly only they know what it is behind the scenes. Uh, things like RDP, but even that I think used to be proprietary until very recently, when when Microsoft opened up the documentation. Um, but in terms of something like VNC, where you have an actual publicly documented protocol, there are a number of, number of implementations, um, both open source and not, uh, proprietary extensions and open source extensions to the same. Uh, and then at the opposite extreme, you have something like uh, TeamViewer or, or JoinMe or these other, other products, which um, you need to use their product to access their product and, and whatever secret sauce they're using behind the scenes to do that uh, the mitigation between the desktop and the client. It's, that's all hidden. What have been the problems with 
these remote software products that people have been using in the past? Uh, performance has always been a major one. Uh, I would say that's probably still an issue, but now that uh, internet has gotten much faster, it's less of a concern. Um, accessibility is, is even more so uh, a problem um, requiring a specific client, uh, specific software, uh, perhaps even a specific device in order to access your machine. And the whole point of remote desktop is, is that you can access computer from somewhere else. Uh, requiring that you need particular software or computer to do it seems to be self-defeating. Okay, so now that we've given a reasonable preface, what is Apache Guacamole? Uh, Apache Guacamole is a remote desktop gateway, a clientless remote desktop gateway. Uh, there's there's been some debate about the term, but uh, clientless here means that you don't need to install a client to use it. There is still a client. It's a web-based client. You use a web browser to access it. But since the web browser is, ambiguous, is uh, ubiquitous, uh, is, it's almost not worth considering. So as you said, Guacamole is clientless. In other words, yeah. you, you need a software package running on the server that you are accessing, but you do not right. need any special software on the client that is being used to access that remote server. It's just all the work is, you know, all the heavy software is on the server. You just access right. it through a web browser. So is this simply a matter of convenience or is there a performance gain to this model? There can be performance gains. Uh, one of the nice things that the gateway actually does is it attempts to optimize uh, the, the sequence of updates the server is providing. Um, in the case of, uh, like for example, uh, VNC, which, which has historically been rather slow, uh, we apply digital compression on top of that uh, through ping or, or JPEG or WebP, which may not actually be used on the other side. Um, we combine updates in a way that make it uh, a bit faster. Uh, we also augment the protocol. Uh, for example, we take uh, VNC as a source of graphics and Pulse Audio as a source of audio streaming and interleave those two streams via the Guacamole protocol to produce um, both sound and video on the client side. You started Guacamole in 2010. You have continued mm. working on it all the way to 2016. What was the inspiration for the project, and why have you been working on it for so long? Uh, well, I mean, I've been working on it for as long as I have, since it's sort of been my baby. Um, it started when I was working at a, a different company, uh, which had relatively strict uh, network rules. I, don't, I know this isn't very uncommon, uh, which is probably why the project has done so well. Uh, but I, I started it as a means of accessing my own machine. Uh, I originally wrote a uh, web-based telnet client, and this was just terminal-based access. But uh, after that started working out well, uh, I realized it had been done many times over, and I wanted to do something a bit different. So I started looking towards VNC and wrote a VNC client. Um, and then that, uh, over iterations upon iterations, changed into uh, gateway as the protocol support moved outside of um, the web application into this special daemon proxy thing in the back end. And it just got more general and more performant. And now it's a gateway. We're going to talk about the daemon model and the internals of Guacamole. But first, give us an explanation of these remote desktop protocols like VNC and RDP. Mm -hmm. Give us a little more of an explanation of 
how these work, because probably most listeners are not familiar with the internals of these things at all, if they've even heard of them. Yeah, sure. At at the most basic level, uh, VNC, for example, is is the simplest of the bunch. Uh, You just have uh, a sequence of rectangular updates being sent to the screen. Uh, so whenever something changes on the, on the, the remote display, the area that is changing is uh, sent over the network, and then the client draws it according to the, whatever the protocol is telling it to do. Uh, there's, there's more complex variations on this. You know, if you're scrolling something, for example, you don't necessarily want to resend all that data. You can just copy it and move it up a bit and then redraw the part that actually changed. Uh, but this is all mainly a uh, time-space trade-off uh, for, uh, say, video. If you think of the, the opposite extreme, uh, where you have pre-recorded video, uh, that's very efficient. Uh, but the processing is much more intense. And without dedicated hardware, you can't really rely on streaming that in real time, not, not in a way where you could react to something happening on the screen. Uh, if, if you have you know, 100 or 200 milliseconds of latency in your desktop, that's a very unpleasant experience. Whereas with uh, something like a remote desktop protocol, you go the opposite direction where you have some reasonable compression, but there's not that much processing applied with the intent of providing some sort of real-time responsiveness. So it'll end up using more bandwidth uh, for the same type of changes, but it's, it's more optimized for um, lower complexity graphics and faster, uh, less time between updates. You've given us an overview of how these protocols have historically worked. What goes on in the communication? So let's talk, let's talk about guacamole now. So explain okay. explain the communication from a high level between the client web browser and the guacamole server. Just as a reminder, uh, you know the guacamole server is the one that's do, that's running all the heavy lifting software. The client just has to have a web browser. That's the only access point you have to do. So give us an overview of the high-level communication. Uh, At a very high level, um, there's just a tunnel between the client and the server, and that's managed by the web application. And then the web application functions uh, as this sort of authenticating proxy in front of the daemon, which we've mentioned, um, which has no concept of authentication. Um, if I can go to a, a lower level than that, uh, there's a generalized protocol, the guacamole protocol, and that's the only thing the client speaks. Uh, it's the duty of the daemon that we've mentioned to translate uh, these remote desktop protocols to the guacamole protocol and the duty of the web application to uh, proxy that and apply an authentication layer in front of it to protect the access to these remote desktops. Can you talk a little more about the guacamole protocol? Sure. Uh, it's, it's a text-based protocol uh, that grew out of the need for performance and generalization. Uh, like I mentioned before, uh, guacamole was originally a VNC client. In fact, it was a VNC over XML client, so you can imagine that might not have been the best design choice. Um, it's the, the text-based protocol was derived from partly the needs of VNC, but then partly the needs of the architecture. Uh, Since as we were redesigning uh, things to fit a more uh, abstract gateway model and not this specific VNC model, we had to reconsider what it meant for the remote desktop protocol. Rather than being simply the JavaScript extension of VNC, 
we wanted to think of the protocol as essentially a remote display uh, and to try to abstract away most of those operations so that it's just the duty of uh, the daemon to translate whatever it needs to translate VNC or RDP to the most efficient uh, display instructions that it can. The, the protocol itself is text-based, um, and this was, this was done um, so that JavaScript would be able to process it efficiently. Um, it's specifically designed so that JavaScript can process it in a stream uh, with minimal overhead. Okay, I'd love for you to go into that in more detail. That's super fascinating. Why did you need to... I mean, talk in more detail about why you need it to be text-based in order to, uh, to accomplish that constraint of JavaScript being able to digest it. Yeah, it's, it's a, matter, a matter of minimizing the processing on the client side. And this is another case of a, a space-time trade-off where we've, we've sacrificed small amounts of, uh, of space efficiency here and very small amounts in order to make sure that the processing is very fast. Um, while it might seem that text would be a lot less efficient than binary, uh, I think that's, that's a bit of an archaic perspective. Um, in modern times, the, the difference shouldn't be very noticeable. Uh, the amount of overhead... Um, on a packet-by-packet -packet basis incurred by guacamole due to the text is small. Uh, and JavaScript, while this might not be so much the case now with uh, array buffers and binary WebSocket frames, um, back when guacamole was initially written, it was definitely the case that if you want to do anything in JavaScript, you need to somehow be based on text. Uh, and any attempt to do something in binary, you would end up with uh, a large amount of overhead. It would, it would take far more processing to uh, handle that kind of data than the gains you would get through the, the smaller amount of space used. So let's talk, the, uh, talk about the heavier of the two uh, interaction points, um, which is the guacamole server. Again, the client mm -hmm. is very light. The, the server is doing the heavy lifting what is in the guacamole server? If I have a machine somewhere, what mm. do I have to install? Like I, I, have to, I know I have to install the guacamole server. It's going to be running. It's going to make it make my server able to receive uh, client web browser experiences. Um, so, what is in the guacamole server? Uh, the guacamole server is going to be made up of two components, uh, two, two main packages. There's one piece that we call guacamole client, which is the web application that serves the client. So not a misnomer, it is a server-side component. It serves the client. And then there's the, ser the server behind that guacamole server, and that has guacd, which is the guacamole daemon, uh, as well as uh, protocol implementations, which are plugins for guacd, little libraries that it loads uh, based on what protocol it's going to be using to connect to the remote desktop. Uh, so you have this model where there's the web application in front, which is written in Java, and it does almost no processing. It's just the authenticating tunnel that serves the JavaScript client to those that have access. And then it establishes a TCP connection to GuacD uh, if, if you have access to one of these machines. And based on that, GuacD then dynamically translates uh, VNC, RDP, SSH as necessary um, to the guacamole protocol, which is forwarded through the web application and then out to the client. Okay, can you give a, give a little more detail about about that interaction between the the front-facing side of the guacamole server and the 
back end of the back end. And uh, I guess just give me a picture for how information flows between those two components and then how, I guess, how it gets pushed to the client and just kind of describe maybe like the cycle of interaction. Because I can imagine like, basically I'm this client, I'm moving my mouse around. I want the server to be updating this as quickly as possible. So maybe mm-hmm. you could just describe what is going on, I guess, as I'm moving my mouse or as I'm, you know, shrinking a window or um, whatever is the canonical explanation you would like to give that would help me understand the client, it, the interaction between the client, the front end of the guacamole server and the back end of the guacamole server. Okay, well, uh, architecturally, all you really need to be aware of is the existence of this communication channel. It doesn't really matter how many nodes there are along this channel, whether you have the, the client and the web application and a proxy and a clock D. It's, they're, they're all in sequence. They're all forwarding data back and forth very quickly with low latency. So it's just imagine you have the client and it's connected to the server and there's data being sent along this communication channel. Uh, the, the data that's being sent uh, is the guacamole protocol, which at its lowest level is simply a, a stream of instructions. The instructions follow a standard format, but it, that, that's not important. It's in the documentation, but it's listening to that is not going to be very interesting. It's, it's just a stream of instructions. So when you move the mouse, that's one instruction. It tells it uh, that the mouse pointer has moved to a particular location, and it updates the state of the mouse buttons. If you push or release a key, then it sends a, an event about the change in keyboard state, whether you've pressed a key or released a key. And similarly, on the server side, when these things happen, uh, it, instructions are being sent to the client in a stream that contain um, images along with the locations to draw them, uh, instructions uh, copying to and from parts of the screen, saving data for buffering later. Uh, it's it's all these these individual atoms, uh, the instructions. Those are the, the atoms of the protocol, uh, and it's the the stream from the client and the stream from the server being combined that produce the overall experience that you're using a desktop. So, can multiple people log into the same remote server? It depends on the protocol. Uh, I, I would say going forward, yes, because screen sharing is something that we're just finishing up now. Uh, but in general, it depends on the protocol. Um, VNC, for example, if you have multiple people connecting to it, most VNC servers uh, will replicate display state across all those connections, and it will just work. Uh, RDP, normally, no. Normally, the Windows will prevent uh, multiple access uh, if you have one person logged in and someone else could kick off. There are ways around this. Um, some, sometimes you can configure the server to allow multiple uh, guacamole itself doesn't impose any such impl- uh, restriction. Uh, it just translates whatever you want. Um, I mentioned screen sharing. That's that's something that we've just finished uh, and we're just adding to the interface. Uh, but that uh, adds display replication on top of protocols that might not support it otherwise, like RDP. Uh, so in the future, yeah, you can definitely do this. I want to dive a little bit deeper into the the way that this guacamole server works. So guacamole has a native proxy daemon called guacd. Explain what a native proxy daemon is and explain what guacd is. Uh, Well, native in this case just means that it runs natively on the server. It's written in C. Uh, It's not Java or JavaScript. It's this nice C 
uh, daemon. Uh, by daemon, we mean a background process, uh, something that's running on the server in the background, listening for connections, in this case coming from the web application, and then doing something with those connections, in this case handling the Guacamole protocol and uh, calling the appropriate plugin to, to translate from Guacamole protocol to the remote desktop in question. Okay, another component of Guacamole is the Java API, which is provided by Guacamole. It's called Guacamole Common, and it provides this means of tunneling data between the client and the native proxy daemon. So I guess this is the uh, this is the front facing. Is this the front the front facing part of the back end that you were talking about? Nope, still not quite. It's oh. it's uh, it's it's the the middle layer between the front. Yeah, we're, we're getting closer to the front, but not not quite there. Um, Guacamole Common uh, is the Java API, uh, but it's it's more of a middle layer. It's it facilitates the tunnel, yes, but I'm not sure you would entirely say that's front facing. The front facing part is the JavaScript client, uh, and that is Guacamole Common JS. Both of those two things form the the main body of the API, um, which drives the web application. Or if people want to implement. Um, a Guacamole-powered web application of their own, which is the intent. Uh, they can use these APIs to do so. So what are, I mean, if I understand this correctly, what are some other applications people could build using Guacamole Common and Guacamole Common JS? Um, just about anything that could involve uh, remote desktop access, um, which is pretty broad. Uh, I, I can't go into too much detail of uh, say people that I is a, a member of a company that does business with Guac. Uh, I can't go into too much detail of specifics of what they do, uh, but I can tell you that it's very, very broad. Things that we never thought that people would use remote desktop to do, they use remote desktop to do it. Uh, more intuitively, um, if you're a cloud service provider um, or you have uh, a number of machines that you want to provide access to somewhere, um, integrating guacamole into your app or deploying guacamole for, say, your employees to access would be great ways of doing that. So I want to just walk through the technical, the 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 end-to-end the -end interaction uh, from a technical perspective one more time and then like get into some higher-level discussions. But because I know you already touched on, you gave a high level kind of walkthrough of how things are, how things work. But now that we've kind of built up a little more context for how this whole system works, could you could you give another end to end explanation for how the interaction works? Maybe referencing some of the the other lower level components we've discussed. So, like, if I'm a client, I want to log into a server running Guacamole, and then I want to do some stuff on the server. Maybe like. I don't know, log in and like check some stuff or move a window around or whatever example you want to give. Walk through what happens on a little more technical granularity. Okay, so first step, the user is going to be logging in to the web application. I'm just going to assume for the sake of simplicity we're talking about the web app and not some third-party application based on the API. Who knows what that is? But let's, let's say someone is logging in. Uh, the first thing that happens is that there will be REST service calls to authenticate the user. Um, once that is done, they will have an auth token. They will be logged in. Um, further, REST service calls will be made to retrieve the list of connections they have access to. They'll click on a connection. It'll go to the page. Uh, and then the, web, the, uh, the actual web-based client will kick in. 
And its, its duty at this point is to establish the tunnel. Um, and that will depend on the level of browser support for communication. It will use either HTTP or WebSocket, uh, depending on if the browser has support for WebSocket, which all modern browsers should at this point, and whether the network itself allows this, as some proxies will inhibit WebSocket from functioning. But once, once the tunnel has been established, uh, the web application then makes the connection to GuacD uh, and sends it the configuration information of the connection. And GuacD then establishes a connection to the remote desktop server on behalf of the web application that is doing this on behalf of the user. And once all that is established, the communication flows. The client sends instructions through the web application, which forwards them to GuacD, which then translates them to whatever the remote desktop needs to consume. And similarly, when the remote desktop does something, GuacD consumes that, translates it to Guacamole protocol, which is forwarded through the tunnel to the client, uh, which is then processed by JavaScript and rendered to the screen. Okay, well, that's great. So let's continue the conversation from a higher level. So Guacamole is free and open source. Explain mm -hmm. what the advantages of making the software open source are. Well, uh, be, transparency is, a, is an obvious one. Um, from earlier in, in this conversation, we mentioned proprietary protocols. Uh, being able to see what these protocols are doing, uh, how your information is being handled, um, being able to, say, uh, investigate the source for potential vulnerabilities or even contribute to it, it's, this is all important. Um, one of the main things that differentiates Guacamole from the competition is the fact that it's open. And I've, I've noticed that one of the main reasons that people have switched towards using it uh, beyond that it works well uh, are that all other alternatives are proprietary. And that's not to say that there aren't any other advantages to the software. I mean, we use it ourselves. The whole point is that it's fast and good. Uh, but one of the main dividing factors is the fact that you can see the source, you can do whatever you want with the source, and there's no, say, uh, lock-in to a particular vendor uh, where if you want to use this particular software stack, you suddenly need to, one, pay for it, and two, commit to using it, essentially, until you can find an alternative. There's no way that you could stay with it and not have to continue to pay. So these two components, it sounds like you're talking about, are the problem of organizations getting locked into using these super clunky remote desktop solutions and mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the the transparency that you get and and um, you know it's like the more eyes are on it obviously the more things you can get ironed out um, and, and I think like remote desktop is one of these things where like it's one of these things where it's a pain that companies have lived with for so long, it just becomes something that they've accepted. It's like one of these things where you just forget that you just kind of like take it for granted. And then you just like, yeah. you know, once you see, once you see like a, you know, a step change solution, you're like, oh my goodness, how did I not notice this pain in the past? Um, I, yeah. I can think of like all the different companies I've worked at where just like remote desktop and it's just like, this is so slow, but I didn't even think about it because I, I, all the previous organizations I'd worked at had that. Same thing. Um, yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, you know, why, why have we lived with this pain for so long? Why has nobody, 
worked on it or i mean i guess you know you've been doing it for six years yeah I guess. Is, is it just that this is such a hard problem that like you know generally you know an, an open source contributor might like look at this problem and be like you know i think i'm just gonna go build a javascript framework or something yeah i don't know i i i argue <laughs> not, not to knock javascript frameworks <laughs> no, that's what's fair but i i mean I, i'd argue that it just very generally, most problems are hard. Right. And as, as far as realizing that a problem exists, uh, that's always the question, right? Um, most of these things, people, uh, you have a, a problem you didn't realize you had. Uh, you can look at just about any invention over, over how many hundred of years, and hasn't this always been the case? Right. So when did Guacamole get incubated under the Apache organization? Uh, that was earlier this year, uh, February, I think. So for those who don't know, explain what incubation means. Okay. So <clears throat> if you have an open source project, um, a community that you wish to bring uh, into the Apache Foundation, um, you need to do that through the incubator. Uh, you can't just hop in and, and join as a top-level project. Uh, you need to become accustomed to the Apache way of doing things, um, the processes, uh, and build a community around the, the software. The, the whole point is, is not for, say, the software to become an Apache project, and then we hope the community joins in later. The point is that the community exists and that it grows, and that once the community is self-sufficient and, and thriving, then sure, top of a project. But, but the point of entering it at the incubator level, like if you go to the um, you know, Apache Guacamole website, you'll see Apache Guacamole incubating. Uh, the point is to, to get into this growth phase where you are introduced to the Apache processes and you prove that the, fun the, the community is there and that the project is properly functioning as far as Apache is concerned. And then it's up to um, that community and the community of the incubator and then finally Apache itself to decide whether the project actually gets in as a top-level project. What is the, the sense of momentum that you're getting from the, the community? Like what, to what degree? I haven't looked at the GitHub repo. I haven't looked at the number of contributors. But how big is the, is the uh, workforce around the open source project getting? Uh, it's growing, but still relatively small. Uh, on the project, we only have, at the moment, three committers, uh, meaning regular project members that are writing code. The, that's myself, uh, James Milner, and Frode Langolo. Sorry if I'm not saying your last name properly, Frode. Uh, but uh, beyond that, we have contributors um, who are not necessarily committers on the project, but have been contributing in the past. Uh, and I would say we have anywhere between 10 or 20 uh, committers that, that uh, sorry, contributors that occasionally provide code. Uh, and it's part of the process that if these contributors um, do this regularly and, and they show merit, uh, that they will then eventually be offered committership. But so far, there's mainly the three of us. Uh, I think that one of the primary reasons that the community, at least the development community thus far, has been relatively small has been one um, uh, a relative lack of expertise in the area and to uh, the fact that guacamole is relatively new as far as projects are concerned. 
So have any, I mean, you obviously mentioned, so you, you run a company, you run a company called Glyptodon, and we can talk about that later, but uh, to what degree have companies gotten involved with Guacamole's open source project? Uh, uh, to a very high degree. Um, I, you know, it's, it's an Apache, uh, you know, Apache Guacamole incubating now, so we can't really tie Glyptodon or any other company directly to it. Uh, but it is it is the case that historically Glyptodon was developing guacamole. We we wrote the the program originally and, and then gave it away, and now we maintain it through through con- contributions to the project which runs under Apache and which I am still a committer of. Uh, but it was before that migration. It, it was sort of the company charter that this. Uh, always be open and free and and, but every time we do say business with someone to make a change that change be open um speaking purely as as the company not the project again they're separate um this was something we we decided was very important Uh, and since you know we could see that obviously us professing that this is something we believe in is not necessarily sufficient we decided that giving it to Apache would be the best thing to do. You're working on this company called Glyptodon. Um, I'm, you know, as I understand, Glyptodon provides enterprise support for guacamole. So, you know, obviously tons of enterprises need this remote desktop from the browser uh, functionality. What's the business model for Glyptodon? How similar is it to the open source business models of Red Hat or Cloudera? Um, I, I would say very, very similar, uh, at least in the extent that we provide uh, enterprise support for the open source product. Uh, we differ from a lot of these other companies in that we don't uh, ever do proprietary changes. Um, I mean, we do, if, uh, if necessary, modify other people's, um, say, proprietary source, and then it has to stay as it is. But changes to, to Guacamole, we always keep open and, and contribute back. Um, other than that, I'd say it's very similar. We we use the um, interest from from enterprises and, and other companies to help guide development on our end, and and then hopefully to um, to provide contributions to the project that are then accepted. Guacamole aims to make cloud hosted desktop access preferable to local traditional access. That is the mm-hmm. tagline of Guacamole. I think it's a very noble. Pursuit. How far away from that vision are you? I don't know. Uh, I I would say we're closer than we are far. It's uh, the, the, the day is. It's, the, the day is. You're is extremely diplomatic. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you, you you do you have to do. I, I feel like as a member of the open source community, uh, maybe not entirely true. There are some rather vocal members who are not so diplomatic, but uh, I I think you. You get used to talking like this. Yeah. But anyway, um, uh, that's not a criticism. <laughs> no, that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, you've derailed my train of thought. However, can you? What was, okay, what was the original question? Well, the original question was like, how far away from that vision are you? And if, okay, that's, right. if that's too vague a question, like, I mean, no, what are the hurdles to getting there? I think we're pretty close. Uh, and, and to reiterate from before, we use guacamole to develop guacamole. And we think that's that's pretty important. It's a practice that we started at, at the company, and it's a practice that we've promoted elsewhere. And and now the, 
changing to you know putting on my project hat um, as the as a member of the guacamole project we've adopted the same way where all of our, our committers um, we use guacamole to develop guacamole so at least from our perspective uh, we're already doing this we're, we're using guacamole as our only means of accessing these desktops that we use to develop the product um, as far as the general case is concerned the main thing holding back um, this from being widely accepted are the more intense use cases uh, like gaming, uh, things for which you would need uh, special hardware to handle real-time encoding, uh, and a more generalized uh, video codec, something that doesn't have that same time-space trade-off. Uh, but that day is coming too. Um, all the all this encoding hardware is getting cheaper. Uh, people nowadays do have. Um, servers with graphic processors and, and things that can handle this type of encoding in real time. Uh, and browsers are increasingly supporting these um, more common video codecs, which could be used for this. Uh, and, and you can imagine that as, as this shift continues, that it's going to be even more useful. Um, like you, arguably, you don't necessarily want to use something over a remote desktop. I do. Uh, but I can't speak for the world. I think everybody should want to. But if you really like to lug your laptop around and it's your favorite laptop, I don't see why not. But in the general case, you can imagine that um, you have, say, a rather fancy 3D game or some sort of engineering software. And as this gets uh, more intense for the level of computing power required, uh, it becomes prohibitive to continue to get the necessary hardware to do this. It would be better if, say, a, a larger entity that has you know, the sufficient servers and power to maintain this themselves simply provides that as a service. More realistic, anyway. Well, yeah, because I, I look at these expensive devices that I have, like an iPhone and a Mac laptop that I'm talking to you on right now, and... You know, it, it, I've started to get this feeling, maybe others don't share this, but it just feels really primitive. And it feels kind of silly because, like, I'm, yeah. I'm using these ex super expensive things with services in the cloud because I need fault tolerance. And, like, this, yeah. these jewel things that, uh, that I use to, to do computation, I basically use to access the web browser. Right now I have, like... I do, you know, when I when I'm like preparing for an interview, for example, I have two web browsers open, it like next yeah. to each other. It's just like this. Just there's something seems really weird and wrong about what I'm doing. Architecturally, it's it's getting increasingly weird. Uh, back it's it, in the early days, right? There were mainframes and things, and and this was the way that we're moving to now is the way that things were done back then, right? Where you had sharing of compute resources because they were rare. But then one, with the advent of the personal computer and everyone started buying their own machines, it was all a great thing. Uh, but now that the Internet is, is so prevalent and fast and you can actually handle these things from migrating back, and it seems like such an incredible waste of power. Like, can you imagine how much compute capacity there is across, say, all the various desktops with all their various fancy graphics cards across, say, the, the entire country or, or world? Just all this duplication and wasted resources. Whereas if you had a more centralized system, like, like think think about um, uh, your electrical utility, right? How un ridiculously unrealistic would be would it be for everybody to maintain their own power generator 
It might be something you need to do in some situations, but it's certainly not what everybody would do. You'd, you'd want to have a central authority, and then everyone consumes from the central authority that is rather good at providing this. Absolutely. And yet the pendulum of swinging between thick client and thin client, and this has been swinging back and forth. I mean, I feel like it's one of the trends of computer science that has just been going on forever. So is it plausible that maybe our computers, like our, our desktops in the future, like the, 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 the processing that is going to be done on them is maybe like, I don't know, it's like Siri or it's just something that's like very transient and, and less, less sensitive to like, uh, you know, something, you know, a crash, like your, or your computer gets stolen or your computer explodes. Um, just like basically transient, uh, nothing, nothing, you know, uh, that is, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't know. That would be sensitive to lose. Um, I mean, yeah. are, are, is there going to be a like? Are we just going to to do new things with the thickness of our client? Is that what the future is going to bring? To to do new things with the thickness. So when- so for example, like right now, I I do all these things on my laptop that aren't really necessary. Like I'm saving files on it. I'm uh, doing like doing software development in an IDE that is Mm. code that is on my laptop. None of that really makes sense, especially like given the context of our conversation with guacamole getting really good. And like, I should just be able to do this on a remote server on Amazon or Google somewhere. Mm. So as that stuff actually i'm on skype like why why wouldn't i just use skype in the cloud or something like as as these as these things um shift more to remote usage what are we going to do with the compute power that we have on our desktop a reasonable question i'm I'm not sure how to answer it um I, i think that'd be more of a of a, of a question to those that make the uh, the operating system that would run on your your increasingly thin computer um, I, I would I would think if you look at say something like um, Chromebooks uh, and similar thin appliances it's it's you've got this this thing where instead of dedicating tons of resources to locally running applications you've you've dedicated resources purely to say the browser with minimal performance needs. And, and you gain uh, you know, power efficiency, uh, longevity of battery, um, lightweight, you know, simple hardware. I'm not sure that you're necessarily going to end up with these you know, continually fat laptops and desktops that just don't know what to do with themselves. Um, but you probably will end up with better machines that don't have to do as much. So you use the Chromebook. You're on a Chromebook right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, tell me some about that experience because it's it's so strange because Chromebook does seem like the way of the future, and yet adoption is so low. Like, why is that? I I don't know. It's uh, speaking for myself. Um, I mean, I've been using these for a while ever ever since Glock was fast enough to be useful on the Chromebook. I, I switched over to Chromebooks and eventually migrated away, and I don't even have a desktop at home anymore. But, I mean, to me, the experience is quite nice. You know, uh, from perspective of hardware, not needing to wait for it to boot, that's, that's really pleasant. 
but uh, in terms of software, you know, being able to just sit down and log into Google and there's my desktop. And then if I go somewhere else, I can log in there and there's my desktop exactly as I left it. Or, oh no, I need to do it from the train. I pull out my phone. It's, it's incredibly convenient to just be able to sit down anywhere and use something and, and you know, do, my, do my work from wherever I happen to be sitting. So as we're talking about Guacamole accessing a cloud-hosted desktop somewhere, is there, is there a cloud service provider that you prefer to spin up instances at that you're logging into? No, I, I wouldn't say I prefer anybody in particular. Um, I, I can tell you right now, We've, we've been using Amazon, but you know, I've used others in the past. Um, I, I used, um, what was it, Gandhi.net was, was relatively cheap. I used Rackspace. Uh, it, it was really just a matter of, of what happens to be available at the time. Lately, you know, Amazon seems pretty flexible, but I, I'm not married to it. Uh, as, as long as um, the service is resilient and speedy and I can spin things up and tear them down, um, it doesn't really matter to me. Can you run, this might be a really stupid question, but can you run a desktop experience inside of a container? Sure. Uh, I, I haven't done so, but I know that some have, uh, like a, like a Docker container. Yeah. Um, yeah, I believe that people have done this. They, they have a, say, a, a desktop and a VNC server paired together in a Docker container. So that seems like a relatively nice thing to do. Uh, if, if you have, um, some sort of Docker deployment to, to have containers for your desktops. Um, I mean, I certainly don't see why not. I, I think there is some technical reason why that was difficult, something having to do with the privileges and, and system D and not playing nicely with containers. But uh, I, I think they've gotten around that. Uh, I don't know how easy it is, but I know that's possible. Yeah. So, um what I mean, guacamole obviously has been around for six years, as we've said. Um, has have there been any big accumulations of technical debt? Uh, I wouldn't say so. We've we've kept things rather lean. Um, we we've been we pride ourselves on on the depth of the documentation and the thoroughness of the comments and the code and, and the cleanliness and the style. So overall, I think we've done a pretty good job of maintaining it. And the fact that it's, um, the, architecturally, it's been split up between these, you know, individual APIs that are maintained separately and then the components built off of them and then the components that tie those together, uh, you end up with these nice, independent, uh, easy to maintain pieces. And, and while it's important that you have some level of expertise in what these things do to be able to maintain them properly, um, you know, we have a, a manual documenting how this works at a high level. We have the, the comments in the code documenting what we intend to do here. Um, overall, I, I, think, I think the code base is pretty healthy. Mm. So in this six years that Guacamole has been around, there have been plenty of technological improvements and tools that have come up. What are the biggest ones that have come up in the last six years that have helped you build Guacamole? Oh, boy. Um, well, I, I think at the time that things had started, um, Maven, uh, Apache Maven, was, was relatively new. Uh, I, I, know, I only know that at the time, the company that I was working for had just recently switched 
switched from using ant to using maven. I think even early editions of, of guacamole, they used ant um, before the, the switch to uh, the you know, guac D and, and Java architecture, um, where we started using something like maven, and, and that's been much more convenient. Um, more recently, uh, single-page app-type frameworks like AngularJS have, have been very handy. The, the whole interface right now is, is written in AngularJS, and it's been extremely convenient. Is uh, Prior to uh, maybe a year or so ago, my, my time, my sense of time might be a bit off, but, but around that period, uh, it was hand-coded JavaScript driving the interface, and at the time, that seemed like fine to me, but then... Um, we switched over to something like AngularJS, and it was just a breath of fresh air. It was a major pain porting all that code, but once it was done, um, everything is just better. I can imagine. Um, well, uh, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. I think this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested in what guacamole will be used for in the future. Um, mm. I, I would, I'd love to... Uh, to, to know about some, uh, I don't know if you if you have any if you have any closing like uh, examples of like crazy uses of guacamole that you've seen people use that you can actually talk about. Um, oh boy, I wish I could tell you. <laughs> oh. uh, no, there, there are some crazy things, but it, uh, uh, NDAs. <laughs> Got it. Okay, well, um, we will wait for the virtual reality. Um, uh, Op, uh, haptic uh, interaction <laughs> driven by Apache Guacamole uh, to be open sourced. So, okay, cool. Well, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, sure. I, I really appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thanks, Mike.